I'm looking for similarities in the way troublemakers think. This is Steve St. Clair, co-founder of Trouble Group. Join us as we learn from others who are shaking things up. I've been looking forward to this one. I got in touch with Candace Crane because she's a LinkedIn connection with my past guest, Amit Shandarana from Roadster. Candace is a consultant to the automotive industry, specifically but not limited to auto dealers. As a consultant myself, I have a hunch I'll be learning a great deal about what makes people in the world of consulting the way we are. Welcome, Candace. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Now, I'm really impressed by some of what you've been up to in your in your career and seeing some of the videos about you out there and stuff like that. So let's start with a brief history of your career path. Sure. So I grew up in Wisconsin, graduated University of Wisconsin-Madison and found myself working for Enterprise Rent-A-Car out of college. They are the number one recruiter of recent college graduates nationwide, and they have a fantastic training program that I'm very proud to say. I learned the fundamentals of how to run a business from them and was with them for four years and got into recruiting after that, wanted to get some business-to-business sales experience. So I did it via recruiting, executive level recruiting. And through that, met the owners of a dealership group in the Midwest, and they were looking to overhaul their people strategy. So I took a meeting with them and ended up joining their organization as the head of HR organizational development and was able to do some pretty exciting things with that organization around changing the way that we hire and and develop and pay people in the automotive business. And then from there, wanted to get my master's. So I did that, moved to Atlanta, got my master's in organizational development, and then launched my own consulting practice, which I've been doing for the past five years. Let me read you something from your website, CandiceCrane.com. I am operations focused, not HR. From the top down, I identify and carry out strategies that impact all business units. My specialty is in people strategy with a focus on rapid and effective organizational change. First of all, that opening statement makes a distinction. Do prospective clients expect you to be coming from the HR world when you walk in? Absolutely. Why is that? Well, I, I think because people strategy, you know, it falls under that HR umbrella, right? It's, it's um, anytime you're looking at your business with the lens of your people, I think that there's a general assumption that that's associated more to human resources than it is to just like general operations. And I think that, you know, the struggle that I have with that and the reason that I put that on my website is there is a place for HR within an organization, but it's typically policy and compliance and, and risk mitigation. And the things that I do are on the exact opposite spectrum. I'm all about how do we move our business forward? How do we create change? How do we make this a better place for our customers to do business and our employees to work. So it's, you know, it's, it's under the HR umbrella, but it's not, it's not risk mitigation. It's not policy. It's, it's more about strategy and, and change. You've consulted with some huge companies and really cool ones as well. Carvana, AutoNation, Lexus dealers, Toyota dealers, Chevrolet dealers, CarBiz. You've been a speaker at NADA, or do you guys just call that NADA? You know, I guess it depends on who you ask. I always <laughs> say NADA, but there's definitely people out there that say data, yeah. <laughs> so you've, you've been a speaker at NADA, driving sales, digital dealer, women in automotive, Toyota, Lexus, Ford, and Nissan. So my question to you is, is your success with your consulting business the result of your very tight vertical focus? Yeah, you know, I, I think um, 
It's an interesting question. And, and I certainly have been asked it, especially recently, like, can you take your consulting practice and, and really transfer it into other industries? And, and obviously, you know, people are what fuel every business, right? So regardless of the industry, looking at ways to improve your organization through the lens of your people can certainly transform into other industries. Uh, automotive is, is an exciting place to be for somebody like me because for anybody that's bought a car, you know that the way that you buy a car today is the exact same way that you bought a car 10 years ago and 20 years ago. And the reality is there's only one thing worse than buying a car, and that's going to the dentist in terms of the experience. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's the industry is ripe for change. And there's a lot of stereotypes attached to negative, unfortunately, stereotypes attached to this industry where people don't want to, don't desire to come into the industry. I mean, it's kind of an inside joke when you're inside of automotive retail that you don't choose it. You just kind of it, somehow it finds you and then it sucks you in and you can't, it doesn't release you because it's such an exciting place to be. But there is, um, there's a lot of challenges to working in this industry. There's a hundred percent commission. There's long hours. There's not a very defined career path. I mean, this is a trillion dollar industry that's made up of a whole bunch of small businesses, most of which have never worked. The owners of those businesses have never worked outside of the automotive industry or their family run businesses that have been passed down from generation to generation. And so the idea of completely changing the business. Not only is it scary and, and comes with a lot of risk, but there's oftentimes you just don't know how. You know, How do you change something that's been the same for so many years? And you've got this sophisticated, complex model with the manufacturers and the franchisees and franchise laws. And you know, the manufacturers can demand certain things, but, the fr- but ultimately the franchisees own those businesses. And so it's very sophisticated and complicated and you've got cash flow challenges. So you know, unfortunately, it's just... It, it's a business that doesn't change. And, and you know, my position is to try to help the dealers evolve, not only for their customers, but for their employees as well. One could argue that it's still working. People are still selling cars. So what is the urgency to make a change? Yeah, that's such a, such a great question. You know, I think that the urgency is two things. One, the customer. I mean, the two of us on here are doing this podcast, right? Like, I don't like buying cars. Um, I'm in this industry and I don't like buying cars because it's, it takes way too long. You don't feel as though you are ever truly getting a good deal, right? What does that mean? Does that mean that you're getting, that you negotiate, that you don't negotiate? You know, regardless when you land on the car and you're comfortable with the price, it still takes an entire day to get the whole deal done and you just drive off the lot frustrated. So there's a customer pressure to change. You've got startups such as Carvana that are growing tremendously, triple digit year over year market growth that are showing the customer that there's a different way to do business. And then on the other side of it, you have the employees. And as I mentioned earlier, I mean, this is not a desirable industry. And unfortunately, we create that within our industry because we, we demand these long hours and we give people a huge upside in terms of, of compensation and prosperity potential. But it comes with you having to give away all of your time and, and not having to find career path and having, unfortunately, pretty low barriers to entry. So in order to be able to, to track the right kind of candidates, we have to improve the opportunity. And in order to stay relevant with our customers, Assuming that there's no other options, yes, they're going to continue to buy this way. But the more options that there are, the less they're going to go and choose the traditional uh, car buying journey. And there are a lot more inventive companies out there like Carvana coming in and changing the way and changing the experience, the consumer experience. But consumers are changing too. Let's talk about millennials. Yeah. Like how do, how do they, what are their expectations of car buying, the car buying process? Yeah, you know, I, I think um, millennials 
like everything else in their life, are used to having information at their fingertips. They're very resourceful. They're looking to do things in a much easier fashion, and they're not comfortable negotiating. Uh, On the flip side, we're also seeing that in, in terms of what they look for in an opportunity, much more collaborative generation. They're not as money motivated. Specifically in automotive retail, we tended to do really well with the baby boomers and the Gen Xers who were attracted to positions that gave them a lot of control, meaning real estate agents or mortgage brokers or copier sales reps or advertising sales reps, automotive sales reps, you know, it's all kind of cut from the same cloth of give me the potential and I'll earn it on my own. But millennials are the largest generation in the workforce now are very, very, very different than the previous generations. And interestingly enough, the Generation Zs are now just hitting the workforce. There's some early data on the the Gen Zs, the, the older Gen Zs that are just coming to the workforce. And the early data is showing that they're actually a lot less collaborative than the millennials and are aligning a little bit closer to the Gen X generation. So, you know, regardless of of what industry you're in, it's a challenging time when you look at the the different generations that are in the labor market and what they're looking for. But I think specific to to retail and, and automotive retail, you know, customers, generally speaking, want things to be easier. We're used to more transparency. We're used to being able to get information quicker. And so to have to to take eight hours to purchase a vehicle or even the negotiation skills, you know, I don't know many millennials that have negotiation skills. I'm kind of a, a borderline millennial. I'm a, a old millennial, young Gen X, depending on which, um, which uh, research you look at, but I'm not comfortable negotiating. It's not a skill that I ever developed. So, you know, to your point in terms of what's causing this change or what are the reasons for change, I think it's not only the buyers changing and the generations changing in terms of how they want to purchase goods and services, but also what we, you know, what they look for in terms of opportunity. Candace, tell me your elevator pitch. My elevator pitch. So I, I help to move businesses forward, specifically through the lens of their people. So do we have the right people in the right roles? Are we paying them in a way that makes sense for our business, our customers, our employees? And are we developing a culture that creates engaged employees that spend um, quite, a many, quite a few years with the organization to really make that impact to the organization? And how does that go over out there? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> uh, you know, I think it, the, in theory, it goes over well, right? I mean, when you're, when you're talking about change and strategy, as, as you know, as a consultant, like it's, I find that it's not difficult to get people excited about ideas, right? But what's what's truly challenging is finding the right formula to help people and to help businesses change and evolve. And you know, when you're selling a a service, when you're when you're selling um, the idea of helping somebody problem solve, uh, it's either right problem, wrong execution, or right execution, wrong solution, right? <laughs> so there's a lot of reasons why um, consulting doesn't work. And I think it's, 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 it, I, at least I have found that it's not challenging selling the ideas. It's, it's getting your clients committed to seeing through the change and, and weathering the storm that comes with change, especially operational change that involves pricing challenges or changes, um, changes to compensation plans, maybe the way that you engage with your customer, the measurements that you use to determine if you're successful. You know, true change involves evaluating all of those things. And those things can be very scary. And, and honestly, they can be very detrimental to your business if you don't commit to it. You can blow your business up and, and not be in a very good position on the other end of it. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough getting people to actually see through that change. 
Tell me about an ideal client situation, one where you helped a company achieve huge results. Yeah, you know, the ideal is uh, a, a client who has a very, very strong foundation, right? So ideally, I'm not talking to people who have something broken. Ideally, I'm talking to leaders that are owners of a, of, an, of a business that recognize, look, like we could continue on and not do anything and continue to be successful. However, we recognize that we're not able to truly meet our potential. And, and that primarily is a result of not being able to give the customer what they want, right? So how do we redesign the customer journey to be able to give the customer such a good experience that we can... Um, that gives us that competitive differential that we that we don't have to rely on price and, and we don't have to use all of these games in terms of pricing that we can just go to the market and say, look, we have a really good experience, so give us a shot, and then we'll prove to you that our experience is so much better than our competitors. So that that's the kind of ideal customer that I'm looking for, not one that is is broken or is in a situation where they're so desperate to improve business that they're looking for the next best thing. Because that typically in those scenarios that tells them that, that, that they're not going to be able to see it through. And in terms of the ones that that do, typically it's around looking at how do we improve not only our customer journey for our customers, but how do we make this a better place to work? So we start with what are our employees telling us? What what do they see in terms of ways to improve the customer journey? How can we transfer empowerment from a couple of senior leaders or decision makers down to all of our customer facing employees. So when that customer interacts with an employee, regardless of what position they're in, that customer can get the questions that they need answered. They can get the solutions that they need so they feel comfortable pulling the trigger with that particular store. Um, so, it, you know, it's, it's tackling those systemic challenges around compensation and transferring, transfer of empowerment. And how do we organize our organizational structure in a way that allows for better decision making? So you're a change agent in a very mature industry. What motivates people to do something radically different or even a little different that makes them uncomfortable? How do you help them get over that discomfort, I guess, is the first part. That's a good question. I I have found that it's just a lot of conversation, right? It's a lot of, how do I say this? It's a lot of discussion around what's keeping them stuck. And oftentimes what keeps them stuck is, is their own perceived value system. And, and specifically within my industry, the people that are running these dealerships, more often than not, came up through either that particular store or a different store. And so they, they look back on the reasons for, for why they were successful and what they looked for. And oftentimes it has to do with money, right? They, they say, well, gosh, I entered this industry because of the ability to make unlimited earnings, or I was attracted to this industry because I could eventually own a store someday. And that is a real thing. And that's a really exciting thing and a very different thing about our industry in comparison to a lot of other industries. However, the lion's share of people in the labor market are looking for a more balanced approach to their life. So they still, they, they certainly want prosperity, but they're not necessarily interested in chasing prosperity if it means that they have to give up everything else in their life, like time with their family, time with their friends, experiences on the weekends or, or, or vacations that they take, right? That, that those things are also important to them. So it's finding that balance of both um, a quality of life coupled with the type of prosperity and the level of prosperity that they want. And oftentimes the, the operators or the executive managers of these dealerships, they just, they don't think about it that way. All they think about is money, 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 money. And so it's, it's, you know, it's having a lot of conversations with them about 
look like if you could have an entire staff of, of, of employees that were excited to show up to work every single day, didn't, um, you know, did the things that we need them to do, followed through on their commitments, hit their goals, and they were able to make $60,000, a year while working 45 hours a week, but everybody was hitting their goals and the store was successful, would you sign up for that? And they would say, well, yeah, of course I would sign up for that, but that's not possible because of this, 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 and this. And so it's helping them to kind of remove those barriers that they believe are, are real because their, pers- their own value system doesn't align to the value system of the next generation. And then it's also, I think, in addition to that, it, it's also talking to the employees and kind of bridging that gap between the executive leaders and the employees and talking to the employees and saying, hey, let me paint this picture to you. Is this a picture worth buying, right? Is this something that you would want to, to participate in? Or the other side of it is everything stays the same. You still have the same upward earning potential, but it comes at this cost versus if we stabilized your earning potential, gave you um, a, a, a fair earnings, but, but only required you to work 40 to 45 hours a week, you know, which one would you prefer? And more often than not, the, the majority of the employees would prefer the more balanced approach. So it's, you know, it's a lot of communication between getting the executive to look at things from a different perspective, coupled with helping to kind of, to, to get the voice of the employees into, into a much stronger position for the executive to actually hear. So you're using the employees as influencers, basically. Absolutely. In the decision. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that that oftentimes, that oftentimes gets overlooked, right? We, I mean, as leaders, I know I've done it myself as a leader, you, you think that you know what's best for your employees, but. And you, you very well may believe that in your heart of hearts, this is what the employees want, but you may be of a completely different generation, or you may have grown up in a, a, in a different type of environment or different city or different population size, where what was important to you isn't important to the people that are signing up to work for you. So making sure that you are connected and understand what your employees want is incredibly valuable. And it's the same concept of what your customers want, right? Like you may think that you know what your customers want, but ultimately your customers are going to tell you what they want. So you have to be able to listen to both sides. I've seen lots of talks about the turnover rate in, in automotive retail. What else is behind problems like that? I, I strongly suspect there are deeper, more systemic reasons that the industry is having issues with its people. You know, the, the biggest issue is compensation, to be totally honest. It's, it's one of the few industries where you still are facing 100% commission compensation plan. And you think about Best Buy, even jewelry, um, furniture sales, <clears throat> most of these industries have moved away completely or almost entirely away from 100% commission. And yet, as an industry, we still, you know, most dealerships, if you walk in and say, I'm, I'm interested in, in working for you, what does a compensation plan look like? It's 100% commission. And that's really, really, really high risk. And, you know, obviously, our unemployment rate right now is, is much higher than where we would like to be as an economy. But prior to the pandemic, we were experiencing record lows year after year of unemployment rate. And the result of that was a shrinking labor market, right? There was very few people that were actively seeking new opportunities. Most people were jumping from job to job because they could, because there was a shortage of labor employees in the, in the marketplace. So the opportunities were, were plentiful. Uh, it's a little bit different today. Hopefully that that changes as we you know get more control over um, the global pandemic. But the reality is most people just don't want to work in a 100% commission type of a role that the, the upside just isn't worth the risk. So until we begin to address that, 
Um, I think we're going to continue to experience high turnover. Uh, in addition to that, we, with the 100% commission also comes the long hours. So the opportunity within this industry is really just about like, almost like running your own little mini business, which, which in theory is very exciting. But the reality is you really can control very, there's not much that you can control about it. You can't control the prices of the cars, right? You can't control the product. You can't control what product hits the ground at your dealership. All you can really do is can control the the relationship that you build with your customers. So rather than getting paid 100% commission, I'm a big proponent of stabilizing compensation plans and aligning targets or goals to monthly performance objectives and paying bonuses off of that. But that's a, a concept that many industries are familiar with when they're building their sales models, but our industry is just not all that comfortable with. So what's next for Candace Crane? What's next, man? I want to be one of those rare female operators in a male-dominated industry. I am looking to own a store, to run a store, and I'm looking to uh, to change this industry from the inside out. That's a big goal. That's a big goal. Yeah. How many women-owned stores are there, would you imagine? That's, that's a good question. I would say, gosh, less than 100. Women-owned stores, for sure, less than 100. Women-run stores might be a little bit more. Um, this is not. This is a an industry where you don't see many women. Unfortunately, there there is a strong female presence in the support roles. So we often see women um, controllers, CFOs. Um, you know, we see a lot of women on the on the support kind of office side. But we don't. There's just not a lot of women in in operations, whether that be sales or service. And it's unfortunate because. There's certainly a lot of women that buy cars and yep. there's a lot of women that control the buying decision in their household. Yet when you go into buy the second largest purchase of your lifetime, you don't see many female faces. And you sense a lot of uh, testosterone when you're in there. Yeah. Too. <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think the reality is like the, the thing about me and, and this is kind of embarrassing to say, but I'll say it. I, I'm not all that excited about vehicles themselves. Like I'm not a car person. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny when I go on dates with guys, we'll be like, Oh, you're in the car business. Let's, you know, I'm going to talk about cars. And I'm like, Oh, I don't really know a lot about cars, but we can certainly <laughs> talk about the car business. I love the retail automotive industry. I love the idea that I can impact an industry that again, is, is, is selling the selling and servicing your, your second largest purchase of your lifetime, right? It's your home and then it's your vehicle. And you want to feel good when you buy your vehicle. You want to feel good about the partner that you're servicing your vehicle with. And I want to help this industry evolve. And, and I've done it as a consultant. I've done it as an internal employee for a dealer group. And now I want to do it as an owner and operator of my own store. Tell me about Women in Automotive, which is an organization you're part of. Yeah, Women in Automotive is a fantastic organization. I actually launched my consulting practice via that um, organization. I attended their very first conference in the summer of 2015. And I was thinking to myself that I wanted to go out on my own as an independent consultant, but I was, of course, incredibly intimidated by the idea of it. And how do I get my name out there? And how do I get my brand out there? And who's going to hire me? And, you know, there was just so many reasons to not do it. And I came across this advertisement for the very first inaugural Women in Automotive event and thought, well, if I'm going to do it, this is the place to do it. So I wrote a white paper on recruiting in retail automotive and why it's challenging and what we need to do as an industry to improve it. 
And I published it and I made a whole bunch of copies of it. And I went to this conference and I launched my consulting practice. And then if it weren't for that um, organization, I probably wouldn't be here today. So they bring together women um, of automotive in all different sectors of the industry. So it can be retail employees, uh, vendors, manufacturers. And once a year, now twice a year, I guess, they, we, we come together and we talk about what's going on in the industry. And there's different speakers at the conference that help us with our own personal development, as well as learning more about how we can be impactful in the industry. And, and ultimately, it's just an opportunity for us to network and make connections and um, you know, lean into each other's experience. Matter of fact, the last couple of days as I've been doing business development to try to find the right store and kind of shaking some trees. The first places that I started was with my uh, executive level connections within women in automotive and, you know, was asking for um, if they can kind of put me in the right direction to work with the different manufacturers to see where the right opportunity may be. So it's a incredibly valuable organization that I'm very proud to be part of. What kind of coaching would you give a young lady heading into that industry or thinking about it? What kind of coaching? I would say, um, you know, I, I struggle with this question a bit because I personally have never really felt as though I don't have a seat at the table. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that um, I'm confident in the skills that I have and I'm confident in the perspective that I have. And, and the other part of it is that I was um, fortunate enough to be able to, to work for uh, different organizations, whether that be uh, through my old dealer group that I worked for um, as a permanent employee or through clients that I've worked with that have really been very respectful of my point of view and and welcoming to the different ways that I, or the different areas that I, um, or different different types of things that I think about and how I, how I perceive those things. But uh, the reality is that's not always the case, right? And I, I think for a younger woman or a woman in general coming into this industry, you have to you have to be prepared to kind of fight for your seat. You have to be prepared to fight for your voice because there is a lot of type A personalities. Um, this is a, an industry where that moves very fast in terms of decision making because it is very decentralized and it is just a conglomerate of a whole bunch of small business owners. So you know people are are, are quick to pull the trigger on making decisions. So if if you're not if you're the kind of person that likes more a more disciplined approach or is used to working in an environment with more governance, this is not going to be the industry for you. If you are the type of person that um, is full of ideas and is confident and has a strong voice and is willing to um, you know, fight to have that voice heard, then this could be a very fulfilling and exciting industry to be in. But you've got to decide which side of that spectrum you're on because um, you're not going to find the, the slow-moving, kind of more methodical, uh, disciplined um, decision-making in this industry. You're just not. And so I think that oftentimes women from other industries, especially that are working for like corporate America, come into this industry and are really excited to bring thoughts and ideas to the table, but they're just not used to the way decisions are made. And it becomes very uncomfortable to them and uncomfortable to their employer or their client. And it just doesn't work out. Candace, how has 2020 been for you? You know, I, I think it's going through a transition myself right now and, and, exploring a different path. I'm reminded of the importance of mentors and I'm reminded of the importance of being vulnerable with people that you trust, right? And, and this is a difficult time, I think, for all of us navigating this this world of, of COVID and, and all of the unfortunate challenges that it comes with. Um, 
but it's been nice the last couple of weeks to be reminded that if you just let it be known what you're looking for and you reach out to people that know you well and that you trust and trust you, those exciting conversations can lead to more exciting conversations, which can lead to getting on a podcast about troublemakers. You, you don't go. know where that's going to go. So. <laughs> yeah, I just, it was just a good reminder to me of, you know, take that call, make that call, have those conversations, be vulnerable, take the risk. Yeah. Um, and just trust that what's going to work out is, is going to work out. To learn more about Candace Crane, go to CandiceCrane.com. That's C-A-N-D-I-C-E-C-R-A-N-E.com. From there, you can keep up with her on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Candace, this was a great one. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm excited, and maybe I'll even sell you a car. Hey, I drive it back from <laughs> Minneapolis, right? <laughs> yeah, you never know where I'm going to be, Steve. And, you know, I'll have cars to sell. That's so right. we'll be having that conversation, too. <laughs> very good. Thanks, Candace. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. This has been a Trouble Group podcast. Learn more about us at troublegroup.com. If you're a troublemaker and want to be on the podcast, email us at steve at troublegroup.com. 